Welcome to the Core Women Podcast, the place for women entrepreneurs, authors, and self-starters looking to build community and gain valuable insights through expert interviews with women at the top of their game. Join your host, podcaster, producer, expert coach, entrepreneur, and author, Dr. Summer Watson, as she aims to inspire and empower you through these candid conversations. Lean in and embrace the journey. It's time to start the show. Here's your host, Dr. Summer Watson. Today on the show, I would like to welcome Dr. Jerry Johnson, who has over 20 years of experience in education. She has held multiple positions in the field, such as District English Language Arts Supervisor, Principal, Assistant Principal, Instructional Coach, Reading Specialist, and she has a doctorate in education, authored and released her new book, Imagine That, Chronicles of an Urban School Principal, and is the owner and sole consultant for Educate You Consulting LLC. We have so much to talk about today, so let's just jump right into this and welcome Dr. Johnson. Thank you for having me today, Summer. You know what? You make me sound good. You are good. (laughs) (laughs) You're real good. You're amazing. So thank you so much for joining me today. But before we delve into that incredible professional background, let's talk about you, your personal journey, maybe where you grew up, some of the experiences that have contributed to maybe where you are today. Awesome. So um, I am originally from St. Louis, Missouri. I currently live in North Dallas in Texas. So my journey started in St. Louis, Missouri as a child who is African-American. And I grew up in a part of St. Louis County that was predominantly white at the time. Mm -hmm. So I have a twin sister and we both, we don't have any other siblings, but my parents uh, decided to move from St. Louis City when they got married at 18 and 19, I believe. Uh, (laughs) Right. Yeah. To St. Louis County, because my father's job was out way out St. Louis County. Um, So my educational experience was that I was in predominantly white area, grew up and as as we grew up and matriculated through Normandy School District, the area flipped over to becoming more people of color. So as we grew up going from elementary school, predominantly white to middle school, kind of half and half to high school to predominantly African-American or people of color, uh, we saw the change, you know, Mm. but our education didn't change. Right. You know, yeah. the, the, the teachers were still like a diverse bunch of teachers. Mm. You know, they were very, very supportive. School was a safe place for me. Mm-hmm. And I always felt that way going to school, unlike some of our children today. Right. So I have, as an educator, when I decided that I wanted to get an education, always wanted to provide those types of spaces for children and adults. And a, and a lot of our adults have had bad schooling experiences. Yeah. Uh, so they bring that with them and their children bring that with them. But I've always tried to focus on creating spaces that were safe for people, not just physically, you know, emotionally, psychologically. I want people to feel good when they walk into the buildings that I work in or that I lead. So Mm -hmm. even if I wasn't a leader in the building, the principal of the building, I tried to be a leader as far as climate and culture. 
Oh, that is so important. That's where I am in my journey today as well. Oh my goodness. I love what you just said there, creating safe spaces. And that is so important. And you know, just as well as I know, having worked in lots of different educational environments that many of the kids that come into these schools come from unsafe places or places where they're not being fed or being taken care of where there's neglect. So if they have that safe place that is both safe for their mental and physical well-being, that makes such a difference. Mm -hmm. It does. And even our children who look like they're coming from safe spaces Mm -hmm. at home, they may have the big homes, they may have the the access to certain things. Obviously, we've seen in the news and that home may not feel like a safe place for them mentally, psychologically, emotionally, but school may feel that way to them. Absolutely. If we can create those types of environments for children where they do feel that way, I think if even if they don't have it at home, they can come. They're with us most of the day anyway. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that makes a huge difference. You know, that makes that's really impactful that when we think about it that way, those kids are spending the majority of the day with these educators with these people that work at the school, these support staff, it makes a difference that these are safe places. So you've held so many incredible positions in the field of education. Can you tell us a bit about what inspires you to continue to work in the field? It's a tough field. It is a tough field. And I think that people might say there's a, you know, an adage out there is that if if you're not in a classroom or if you're not in a school, you're not an educator. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily believe that. I will always be an educator at heart, always be drawn to children when I'm out or if they're doing something wrong. Hey, sweetie, can you stop that for a second? You know, like, (laughs) right. I will always and forever be the teacher. What made me want to continue to work with schools and work with staffs in schools and and assist and support is that it inspires me. Like I get energy from being around others. I get inspiration from being around others. And I'm always learning from other people. Mm -hmm. Just like I like to talk about my experiences and, and try to help people avoid the pitfalls that I you know, fell into as a classroom teacher or reading specialist or what have you, the different lenses that I've been given by the Lord through six layoffs, seven layoffs in my career, Mm. um, the different lenses that I've been provided have given me, I guess, just a different view Mm. of the life holistically Mm -hmm. of an educator and how we can kind of, you know, move through, flow through difficult times. Um, so I like to, I like to support. I'm a, I'm a person who likes to see people grow. I'm a person who likes to grow people and I like other people to grow and pour into me. So in education is where I've found that to be uh, the most in- inspirational and helpful for me as just a holistic human being. So it's a place where I feel safe and where where I like to thrive. I can so appreciate that. It was always a place where I felt safe as well. And I felt safe because I knew that like you, there was a lot of diversity, a lot of creativity, a lot of ability to grow myself. And it was because that safe space was also created. Mm 
because there were times also in my life where maybe what looked like a great home, but was with a parent that might've been abusive. And that was really difficult. And it was nice to be able to get out of that space and go to school and find safety and security and an ability for my brain to relax. And that Mm -hmm. was early on. So I always found comfort in school. So really interesting too. And I like what you said earlier on about modeling and being that educator and being that model where you can help other people grow. I have to point out somewhat of a funny, when I was growing up, I used to watch that show, Little House on the Prairie. (laughs) You remember that show? Yes, I do. We're dating ourselves. I know, I know, but it's worth it for this, this example. So the mother, Ma, she was with Laura and Laura was upset because she was a teacher and she was going to get married. And she, the mother said, why are you upset? And she said, mom, I'm not going to be able to be a teacher any longer Mm -hmm. in the classroom. And she said, Laura, yes, you are you know how to sew, you know how to cook, you know how to clean, you're going to have your own kids. This means in all of that, all that you do, you're going to be teaching. Mm -hmm. We are constantly modeling. And that's something that from a little girl on, I remember that we are always teaching. We are always a model for somebody. Something that we say today, somebody's going to take away and go, "Mm -hmm, I can apply that. Or that resonated with me. So What do you see as one of the most important variables we need to look at and reevaluate about primary and secondary education? (laughs) 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 People might not like this. (laughs) Um, I think we need to look at our educational systems as a whole. Mm -hmm. From early childhood through college, university, training programs internships, all of that. Look at the system. Yeah. Our systems are what run this country, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And education is what creates the people who are working and thriving or just surviving in this country. Yeah. But our system is broken. Mm-hmm. And I don't think people worry about the system so much as they do all of the minutia around it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, who cares you want to control women's bodies? I have a problem with that. You know, you want to have teachers with guns in schools. What problem is that solving? We have, we're supposed to have police for that or security for that. Um, You're putting one more thing on educators that that's not what they're supposed to be doing. Right. Um, You know, but you don't want to, you don't want kids to know about the systems with critical race theory and we're not teaching our history of our country correctly and honestly and holistically. It's just really, I don't know, why can't we focus on what matters? Yeah. You know, the system matters in order for everybody to live like they're supposed to live and thrive in this country this is supposed to be the country that the home of the free you know land of the brave yeah we kind of free ish we're not (laughs) yeah and really free (laughs) yeah and I think we can you know there would be so many rabbit holes we can go down here especially when it comes to looking at the system because 
I think it really comes down to, in some cases, politics, <laughs> and then everybody has their own agenda. And Ooh. so they're pushing that agenda based on where you're at, based on the demographic, based on a lot of different variables. But I like where you're taking this in relation to the system. Now, we've talked before in the past, and we talked about this systemic issue, right? The system issue where can we take apart that system wholly, or is it that we work on system issues where we work on the link that's maybe not helping the chain? Right. Right. Um, we're only as strong as our weakest link, right? Right. So the, the system is going to be there. Depending on where you are in the country, the educational system is going to be there. It wasn't created necessarily. And we all know this. It wasn't created for people of color. It really wasn't created for immigrants coming over here. You know, things like that. So we all know this, but we don't want to address those links in our system. Yeah, it's I'm not saying that I don't think if you break it all down, you're going to be able to build it back up in the way that you want in the way that it needs to be, period. I just don't think so, because people have tried, you know, to break school districts down and build them back up, even though they say they weren't performing. They were worse after somebody came in, in and tried to break it down and build it back up. So I believe if we at least start you got to start somewhere. Right. Yes. If we at least start in though in our system, whatever educational system you're in, if we at least start to look at these things that we know are, you know, breaks in the chain or little chinks in the chain, right. then maybe we can maybe we can just do better than right. what we have been instead of things getting worse. Ignoring things doesn't make it better. It's just like a relationship. You ignore the problems of the relationship or marriage. You think it's going to get better. No, stupid. It's going to get worse. Like really. (laughs) And, And I do like what you're saying there. We can't completely dismantle a system that's already in place, but what we can do is work on the links within that system that are really off center. Mm-hmm. So to really help support the system that it currently exists. Right. So I, I, I do. Think like, we can always do better. Right. You know, oh, yeah. We can always do better than what we're doing. Absolutely. But here's the thing. Are people open to doing better? And then we all have our perception of what better is. Right. And that's where it gets tricky Mm-hmm. because it's this person says it's better this way. This person says it's better this way. There's got to be some common theme where we can come together and start working on the progress and the evolution of the system. Yeah. And my thing is, why can't it just be we're about the business of kids? Right. That's I mean, good. why can't our focus just be children and creating a holistic, good, you know, functioning, thriving human yeah. in this world, no matter what they look like, where they come from, whatever. Yeah. I mean, why can't that be our focus? I understand for some people, good is relative too. Right. However, right. we all know what it takes to be able to thrive as a human, as an adult yeah. in the United States. It's not rocket science. You don't make yeah. a living wage. 
be able to get a job, you know? Right. <laughs> it's Teach not- these kids who are going to be the educators, the leaders, the people that are making movement and helping us evolve as a country, help these kids create, understand in safe environments where they're away from their home for the majority of the day, where they feel and are functioning in a healthy way. Exactly. Yeah, I know. And if we could keep that perspective, keep it on the kids. I think that's so, so good. So important. Okay. So there are so many major issues right now today impacting student learning, which we've kind of touched on those, such as safety of our children and schools. How do you think we can create that safer environment? I don't really think it's hard. Mm -hmm. Once again, I don't think it's it's rocket science. The easiest thing to do is not let it be about you. Mm -hmm. Not about Mm -hmm. you, boo. Like, Mm -hmm. if you are a leader in a building, it's about the other people in that building. And Mm -hmm. yes, it is a difficult charge every day to go to work and say, it's not about me. Right. Because we like, you know, we're in the selfie era. You know, everything is about us. Yeah, everything is. Yeah, it's <laughs> ego driven. There's a lot of ego here, right? And there's a system too, and it's really and you know this. Every single system, even in the district or the county, you know, if you go from school to school to school in that county or that district, they are different. Exactly. They there's are. a different personality. There's a different exactly. approach. And you know what? Many times it's because of the leader in that building. Mm. Hmm. The leader is on gra- at ground zero every day. Mm-hmm. So, and the culture and the climate of that building is on you. Yeah. So, you know, if safety is your thing, which safety was my, one of my top three, I would tell them safety is one of my top three. This is what we're going to do regarding safety. That was something that consistently I talked about, um, not just of kids, but of adults as well, you know, and would have to continuously talk to parents about that. You know, you can't come in the school anytime you want to. You can't go knocking on side doors. You can't, you know, there's certain things that you have to address to make people know that that is something that's important to you. And this is something that we just cannot compromise on. So not compromising on it and being consistent in your addressing these types of issues shows people that you are you know, you're serious about safety too. Being visible in the building and in classrooms, being visible at arrival and at dismissal, you know, mm-hmm. being there daily, all day, yes. not just in an office, but, you know, being around the school and, and know, letting people know that that's what's important to you consistently in newsletters in announcements, in the, you know, the way you address parents, if you need to make a phone call and tell them, you know, that wasn't safe, you know, I expect the next time you do X, Y, and Z, you know, I'll have to go to other measures if you can't abide by our safety rules, just like with children. So I don't think it's difficult for us to create those situations, but you have to be focused on that that's in some, something important to you. And Summer, honestly, I want to keep myself safe. Right. Like, why, <laughs> why would I not 
going to keep the people in my building safe. (laughs) Absolutely. I absolutely get it. And it is about modeling. So every person in that building is a model. Every person is part of that family. Exactly. School family. family. We call it school school family. family. Right. (laughs) Keeping each other safe. And that means if that student or that administrator or that is doing something that might not be safe, you address it right then. And kids have a kids have a right to address it. Absolutely. It was one of our it was one of our expectations was to be safe. I am your safekeeper as an adult, but I need you to keep yourself and others safe as well. So the children should have uh, some onus and some responsibility and feel some type of way. If they see someone being unsafe, even if it is an adult, I've had kindergartners tell their parents, mom, you can't, you know, you can't sit there. We can't sit there because you might fall off. It's not safe. You know, (laughs) (laughs) their parents about things that aren't safe in the building. Right. So it's really what you instill in them and what you show is important to you. It, It is all about teaching and modeling. Just like you said, you teach people how to treat you. You teach people what you need to do in these certain spaces. The way you're safe at home may not be the same way that you're safe at school. There may be a difference, right? you know, and we have to teach them that. Absolutely. And that's a really good point because our expectation and our internal narrative might be such that we have these expectations of these kids but they may not be learning that at home. Mm-hmm. So we model and we show through our actions what that means. We explain what that means because we can't assume. We can't assume. So I love what you're saying here. You've also got an incredible new book. <laughs> Imagine that. Chronicles of an Urban School Principal that just came out. I love the title. Give us a glimpse of your book and one, at least one takeaway. So my book is just five scenarios. And I always say just, and people are like, why do you say just? Yeah, why do you say just? (laughs) Because it it wasn't anything. It it was something that had been on my heart for a while. COVID happened, got laid off. And the Lord said, sit down and write. Wrote it in 10 days knocked it out, and then debated on whether or not I even wanted to publish it. Just so happened, a friend of mine knew a publisher. We talked, and I was like, well, let's go ahead and do it. You know, yeah. it took about a, almost a year to, to actually get through the edits and things like that and, you know, cover and taking pictures, and I'm not a picture person <laughs> Ah, this type of stuff. And I was like, you know, this ain't for me. So, you know, my book is actually just five scenarios. It has some tips in there, either leadership tips, you know, teacher tips or parent tips about how to navigate certain situations um, in schools. Mind you, it says urban school, which means that I've only worked in schools and school districts that were predominantly schools of color. Mm-hmm. you know, children of color. So my takeaway or my tips may be geared towards that demographic more. Now, all schools deal with madness. Yeah, I'm not negating any of the madness. 
Mm-hmm. And all principals, it's a tough job, you know. Yes. Just that the urban school demographic and the issues that come along with that in our communities are different than mm-hmm. the suburban, you know, predominantly white communities or what have you. Yes. And that was the only kind of caveat I put at the beginning of the book was that, you know, not negating anybody's experiences, but these are my experiences in the types of schools that I have worked in. And the biggest takeaway from my book was that um, we need to look at educators as human beings. Mm. Yes, I love that. They are humans. They are dealing with lives outside of teaching in a school with multiple children in their classroom, not just one like you might have at home or two or four like you might have at home is 25 plus many times. And they are making just as many or more decisions than a brain surgeon during the course of a day. Yes. You have to think about that before you say something crazy about educators, do something crazy with an educator or what have you. And, you know, I didn't like all my daughter's teachers. Right. Okay. But that did not cause me to go up to the school and just completely, you know, wig out on somebody because my five-year-old told me something and I believed it, you know? You right. know, one one scenario in the book says, you know, parents, let's make a deal. You believe half the stuff that your child comes home and says about you. I'll believe half the things that they come and tell me about you. You know what I'm saying? Like, That's a deal. Yeah, give, <laughs> yeah. give me 50-50 here. You know, yeah. half the stuff that they say about you, I won't believe. And right. half the stuff that they say about me and the teachers, don't believe it. You know what I'm saying? Come to me about the half that actually makes sense. Yeah. You you know, it's, it's, it's funny that you say that because kids, one, they come into school and they are, so there's a lot of innocence there and they just talk. They say things about their family life there. Oh my goodness. And you're like, sometimes you want to pick your job off the floor and you're like, (laughs) okay, but you don't show that to the kids because you don't want to make them feel uncomfortable. But some of the things that they divulge or say, you know, we have to lean into and pay attention to, of course. Mm-hmm. And then there's some things that you're just like, okay, yeah, your mommy had a hard, hard day that day. Right. And she may have just said that word <laughs> or that might be her favorite word you know? <laughs> or daddy. <laughs> Come on, man, give us some grace, you know, like, just just give the educators some grace and and think about things before you say something or before you act, Um, especially coming out of COVID, you know, educators for five seconds were God's gift to the world, five seconds now, yes, in the next 30 seconds. All of a sudden they are, you know, the problem, you know, the people who cause all the problems in this world. No, no, they are actually creating the people that could solve problems in this world if you all would let them do their job. Yeah. And it was such a complex time, those two years for education, for educators, for children, young adults, 
such a complex for everybody, but you saw a lot of, you saw the great resignation. So not only were teachers resigning and parents resigning, there was a lot of things going on and it, it was a major time of reflection. Number one, number two, the educators who were there, some were more tech savvy than others. Systemically, it's like this, there was nothing really in place for something of this magnitude. So we've never seen anything like this, No, at least not for many, many, many years where this technology, we didn't even have access to this technology. So now the expectation was the system's going to take care of it. Mm -hmm. Well, the system didn't know. They didn't have the things in place to support the system. And it was a learning curve. And so I think there wasn't a lot of grace for educators or systems at the time. And it was very difficult, very trying, and very exhausting for the educators. Well, if we just, once again, step out of ourselves, yeah, step back for a second, get out of me, 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 yeah, and think about the issues and the, and the problems and the, you know, the systemic issues that they might have had with money with access to resources, all types of stuff. At that Absolutely. Time, then I think that it would have lasted a little bit longer. The, the educators are fantastic, you yeah. know, in other countries, I, their educators are, you know, put on pedestals. They are, they love them to death. Um, in the United States, there's an issue. And it, it's causing people not to want to go into education. And I really, really, really um, am fearful for this coming school year because, wow. because there are so many leaving education due to the pressures and, you know, just the all around just nastiness and ugliness um, that you see you know, towards educators now. So, yeah. And I'm sure you've seen a lot of people leaving. And I've seen and talked to a lot of people and communicate with a lot of people. And it's not just teachers that have been in the system for long periods of time. It's those young teachers that come in and are disillusioned by what they're saying and they're leaving. And that is a tragedy because we need those young educators as well. We need some of those people who have been in the system to help those younger educators to transition into the system. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's, it's difficult. And it's difficult. Again, if we keep our perspective on the kids, it's been difficult for them. Absolutely. So they've been caught in the middle of, okay, my parents having an issue, the education system, the system's having an issue because, but they don't have to understand. And we shouldn't expect them to understand why, right? Why this is happening. And yet they're having to understand that a virus, a like, and it's building their, their angst. And so the other thing I've been saying, and I'm sure you've seen too, is there is a lot more emotional baggage and emotional impact that these kids are now confronting because of so many of the variables that they have had to go through in the last two years. Absolutely. I mean, and there was once again, there was no thought of, or I won't say thought, there weren't many supports in place mm-hmm. for mental health right? You know, or behavioral health mm-hmm. um, 
there weren't many in place when we first, when they first came back into classrooms from COVID. So, and some people were in classrooms super early after, you know, the initial COVID outbreak, but we didn't think about how do we support kids mentally, emotionally, behaviorally, um, especially the ones who had not been in school at all or had missed kindergarten or first grade. And then they're coming back and you're putting them in a second grade classroom. Yeah. What? Wow. You know, and we're seeing more and more of it now. There's a high need for mental health supports and behavioral supports in schools. And you know what? That costs money. Yeah. And in some of our schools, they don't have it. And typically those are the schools that need the most support because those Mm -hmm. are the communities that need the most support and are more affected by it, especially our people of color in our our predominantly Black or Hispanic, you know, areas. Um, They need the support. Yeah, because we don't think about things like, oh, they don't have the iPad or the laptop at home. They don't even have the internet, potentially. They can't afford it. I mean, so there's a lot of support that is definitely needed there. And we just have to look at to the emphasis of what we put on education and on mental health. And those are usually two of the primary areas that budgets get cut. (laughs) You know, it's so so true. That's so true. (laughs) it's, It's true. And so unfortunately, that impacts our education system. That impacts the resources that are available to both parents and students. Mm-hmm. So, and educators, because as you said, educators are people too. They're yeah. dealing with all the same issues. They have kids at home. Exactly. That They've got home. a system that their kid is in. They've got to go and teach. And we saw this with doctors, mental health practitioners. We saw that with physicians. Same thing. The -hmm. expectations are so high that people are falling out because they've got COVID fatigue because of all these other variables that are happening that are influenced by the virus. So yeah, it is a very interesting time and and still is. Yeah. So thank you for all this great information, all that we've talked about. You also have a business. Can you tell us a bit more about the business? Educate You Consulting is spelled E-J-U-C as in cats, the number eight and you. So I spelled it kind of phonetically because I wanted it to look different. That's my creative mind working. Um, But I started the business once again after my seventh layoff in my career during COVID um, right before I wrote the book. Uh, because I kept getting asked to kind of come and do professional development in different schools, just based on the school experience that I have in different positions, people would ask me to come speak or do professional development for their teachers and things like that. Um, and then the non with the nonprofit experience that I have, I did a little bit of community engagement stuff and mm. and coalition stuff. So I just uh, someone was like, "Can I just start?" the business so that you can, you know, possibly get jobs. And if you ever want to do that just full time, then that would be a good fallback. So I was like, okay, yeah. yeah. Thought of the name, got the license. So now I um, focus on, you know, professional development in schools for like teachers or leaders if needed, 
And then also some advocacy stuff with parents I've done, uh, you know, for like special education and things like that. And then also if um, the nonprofit space, I can do leadership training and just different topics. So it's just based on my experience, what I can do. And if I can't do it, then I'll tell you somebody who can. Yeah, man, I love that. I love that you were so creative during this time too, where you started your own business. You wrote a book, even with the layoffs, you continue to work, you continue to look for a job. And that's just bravo to you. That's a lot going on during (laughs) two years. (laughs) A lot of transition, a lot of change for you. And yet, you worked your way through it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's fantastic. And you were creative about it. And here's what I also love, Dr. Johnson, is that you didn't have to reinvent yourself. What you did was you had all these incredible skills and you created a way to apply those in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. And that's awesome. Kind of like Jan Barlow with her reimagined work. Yeah. And and I talk to clients all the time and I talk to clients about that all the time where we say, you know, you don't have to fake it till you make it. You have all these skills. You know what they are. You don't have to start all over, reinvent the wheel. You already have so much that you can apply to something new. You just need to get creative about it. Let's work on that. It's scary. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. It is. (gasps) It's scary. It's very scary. I understand that because even after years of working in the field of mental health, traveling around for 21 years as a military spouse, I'm thinking, I want my 2.0. What's that going to look like? Are you courageous enough to lean into this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I'm on (laughs) (laughs) 3.0. And really, Dr. Jones, I'm probably on 5.0, 6.0. You know, we, we, yes. I totally get that. Well, I have had so much fun with you today. And as we come to the close of this interview, if you were to leave the listeners with some words of wisdom, what would they be? I think I'm going to stick with the keep going. Um, We just talked about how it's scary. I know that there are educators out there, you know, reinventing themselves at this time, whether you're staying an educator or whether you're not. It is scary, but you know what? In the end, it's worth it. There's always something on the other side of stress, frustration, just bad times. There's always something on the other side. Just keep going. Hang on long enough to see what's on the other side. Mm, Keep going. So good. So good. Thank you, Dr. Johnson, for joining me on the Core Women podcast today. Thank you for having me. I so appreciate it. Oh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. You can follow Dr. Jerry Johnson on LinkedIn and her website at fromthedeskofthedoctor.com. And you can find her book at Barnes and Noble and on Amazon. Thank you for joining us on the Core Women Podcast with Dr. Summer Watson. We're so glad you're here and would love to connect more with you. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Core Women and on Twitter at Core Women One. For more about Core Women and Dr. Watson, visit corewomen.com. Want more support and resources for amazing women like you? Great! Join Dr. Watson and Jen Fontanilla at the Life, Love, and Money Collective, a Core Women production that aids in understanding the key traits that might be getting in the way of living a life that you are absolutely passionate about. Connect with Summer and Jen and find out more at thelifeloveandmoney.com.